0: to be with you. and um, I have to say I'm, I'm so happy to, to look out and I can see probably that most people are younger than me. And um, <laughs> as Kiria and Serena know, mostly people are quite a bit older than us in, in the Maori Anglican Church. But even so, there's something wonderful. And I just want to start with some words of scripture um, and then share some of the connection between those words, um, our whakapapa in the faith, um, and um, and a biological whakapapa as well, and then how that might connect up with us. And in a little bit, I'm going to ask my colleague Kirian to come up and share something too of how, how this is landing um, in our present day life up in, up in Auckland. So, a reading from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is not from God. It's from God, not from ourselves. we we'll get, get that right out. It's from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed through suffering. Our bodies continue to hear in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies." That passage is one that is not only very dear to me personally, but it's one that I think has echoes in the story of the faith and in the story of the life um, and witness of the church in this land. And I'm going to come back to some of the images that are used in it, um, um, but I want to begin where we sung up in Oihi and Rangihoa, because for us the story that brings us together this evening doesn't actually begin with the treaty. It begins much earlier, back in 1814. In fact, Serena and Kerry, I'm not cool enough, but they've got t-shirts with 1814 on it to remember that that's where the story began. It's with the proclamation of the good news that Paul's talking about here that Jesus Christ is Lord, or as we celebrate this Sunday, the very last Sunday in the church here, Christ the King. This is the culmination of our whole year, the recognition of who the true ruler is, and then that has a flow and effect into our lives. I want to begin by telling you a little story of the first bishop of Tetai Tokiro, which is not that long ago actually. Um, I'll connect it up. The second bishop of Tetai Tokiro, um, is our bishop, Te Pikahu. He actually composed that song that you sang, the Waiata, uh, Totoku that you sang with. He had a different tune though, okay? So if you ever sing it to him, you better learn his tune first. <laughs> the first bishop of Te Taitokoro is Ben Tahara. He still lives in Paihia. Ben Tahara's grandfather is a man called Heta Tahara. And Heta Tahara signed the Treaty of Waitami. Now, that's how closely connected we are to the treaty. So in other words, ben lives in, Bishop Ben still lives in Pahia, his grandfather signed the treaty. Sometime after that, you may have heard about the Flagstaff Wars. Um, you know the Flagstaff in Colorado, in Russell? They kept getting chopped down, kept getting put back up, and eventually there was the, uh, the wars around us. And eventually, some of the British forces came inland, and they brought cannons with them. This is the first time. By the way, you can correct me later if I've got any of this wrong. <laughs> the first time that cannon were brought um, inland and used in battle against Maori. And um, but you know what? They they weren't stupid, Kawati, Tahara and these others, they weren't stupid, and they thought about what would happen if they got shot at with cannons, and they thought that didn't look like much fun. And so <laughs> at the highway they dug trenches. And so the British held them for a long time so, right, they thought, right, they're all dead and marched on in. But, they dug trenches and, 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 and um, shelters for themselves, and so they were all still alive. So they pop back up, they attack the British, the British attacked them, um, and for the times it was quite a big battle. In Modern terms, probably just a skirmish, and there were a few people dead on both sides. It's one of the points at which the pain and the brokenness starts to come into the story. Something that began so promisingly had found an expression here where Maui would look at people who profess to be Christians coming in um, to bring death and destruction. But the reason I tell this story is not to focus on the pain that comes there, the brokenness, the fact that the message comes in jars of clay, but that God's light has shone through in a particular way in that story. If you go to close to where that battle took place today, um, there's a church there called St. Michael's, it's near Nafar or Hawaii, and if you go to that church, It is still a Maori church, and there's a story behind it which relates to Heta Tahara. What happened is that sometime later, Heta came back and arranged for those who had died, Maori and Pākehā, to be buried together in the Urupa, in the cemetery there. And he did this because he had encountered the good news of Jesus Christ, and he understood that Christ calls on us, As we've just shared with each other, um, I can't remember the exact words he used, but you know, something like sometimes we're a bit with each other. Sometimes things are even worse than that between (laughs) us, right? After after you've killed a few of each other's people, that's pretty bad. Peter Tahara buried those people together as an act of Christian reconciliation, and to me, it speaks of the Christian story that says. The way we see the gospel story that Jesus Christ is Lord most clearly expressed is not to be found in the places of power. Instead, you find it at the margins. You find it in those who are being oppressed, saying, we understand that we live under a different king. We live under a different rule, and as a consequence, we will act differently even when we are harmed, even when others oppress us we will do things like this. An extraordinary act of kindness in the midst of great suffering. And at that point you see St. Paul's words coming into effect, that it's actually through the experience of suffering that we are able to tell the story of our suffering Savior. In the end, people only encounter the story of Jesus Christ as they meet us. And if we are unable to express through our own stories, that we too are counting the cost, that we too suffer, that we actually choose a pathway that involves sacrifice and suffering, people will hear us saying one thing and doing another. Just like Maori encountered that in those British troops. They saw people who said one thing, who professed one way of life, and who lived another. But when I look back to that story of Heta Tahara, I see somebody who lived the life that he professed and was able to express it in his context, in an act of sacrificial reconciliation. And so when I look back to him, we recognize, did you notice there Paul saying, we tell the truth, we do not tell a dishonest story. We're not gonna tell a dishonest story about the place the church has in the story of this land. We're not gonna tell lies and say, it was all good. There is good in that story, but we also have to tell the story of the brokenness that happened, but we do not do it to despair. Because you know the funny thing is that Paul is saying that the way God most loves to work is by showing that in the end, people like me are actually pretty rubbish at communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. I am a broken jar of clay, I constantly fail, collectively as the church. We will keep failing. I know at the moment, okay, we're filled with optimism. In our generation, we're the ones who are going to do it right. Man, those baby boomers, they were rubbish.
1: <laughs>
0: Praise God that he sent us. All right? We are the ones who are going to get it right. Well, unfortunately, maybe in a few more years, there may have been, maybe you are finally the ones, okay? Right? I've done the same, I've sent terrible emails off to people telling them how to fix their church up how to do it right, finally, after all these centuries I've had the revelation but actually that's not how God tells the story he tells it through our weakness and through our failure and Paul is saying that this is it's through our weakness and our failure that God's power is clearly seen because people are going to look at me and they go there's no way it's because of him, alright, even my colleagues, I'm afraid to say this, you know, in the end they'll go, there's no way that it's Kyrian, there's no way it's Serena, they'll say there must be something else going on and they'll want to find out what on earth people like us can bring about transformation, transformation of people's lives, transformation of the unjust things that still dominate our society, you know when. You've the Moth massacre happened with Jacinda Ardern, um, who in many ways absolutely nailed it in her response. But one thing she said that's always, the moment I heard it, it really um, hurt me actually to hear her say it, she said, this is not us. As if this is the first harmful act that had ever happened in our country, the first time a group of people had been massacred. In fact, that even came up, people said, there's never been anything like this in this country before. And you think the only way we can think that is by being blind to our history. Or in, actually, what it really is, we want to tell a story of ourselves that is better than what we actually are. Mm-hmm. The gospel frees us from that. It says, you know what, we can be honest about our failures, because in the end, for goodness for the redemption of society, we have to be able to confess our own incapacity to do good. And we need help. We need a better king. We need empowering through the Holy Spirit. And we need to be able to tell the story of the one who's made this possible for us. In other words, we do not, in the end, tell our own story. We tell the story of the one that our lives should point to. When I look back at Tahara, that's what I see is somebody who, in the end, was telling the story of somebody who made a greater sacrifice than he did. Who reached out to people who were even worse oppressors and enemies than the enemies and oppressors that he faced. He sacrificed not just an aspect of his life, but I'd say to you, Jesus, he sacrificed everything he had. Who gave up. You know, we're going to sing that in a few weeks' time if we're in that kind of swing of the church here. Thou who was rich beyond all splendour, all for love's sake, became as poor. The one who had the right to everything, but gave up his rights in order to, to win us back to God. Now, the, one of the images I like to use of this theme is when we think about the story in this way, um, oh, I was going to say you guys are too young to remember records, but actually you all look quite hip. So, <laughs> I
1: did,
0: no, it's true though, because I have to think carefully about how I dress. Normally it's easy as an Anglican to dress. You know, you hear a,
1: um, oh, there we go. They, they did.
0: But anyway, now everyone's got. If they're really cool, they've gone back to records. I understand. My wife has told me I can't have a record player. Um, I'm not really in that space. But you know the record has a groove that runs around, okay? To me, to be it, place ourselves in the story in that way, and the way that Heta Tahara did, is to place ourselves in, in, in the groove of the story. And so what I want to encourage you to do is, is to look back at those stories of faith, have been held in an unbroken chain by Māori since they came to faith, and to say that actually for me that's the groove of what God is doing in this land. In other words, it's not to say that in the Māori Anglican Church our, our thing is just to be a space for ourselves, to be secure in ourselves, but it's actually to say we believe that we are a place of hospitality. And it's a hospitality that says we're not just inviting you into our space or our way of doing things. it's a space of hospitality to say here's the way that you can join in god's story here's the groove of what god is doing in this whenua in aotearoa and it has something to do with the people who are here not just for the benefit of maori but for the benefit of everybody find a way to join in with that story in other words it's less about saying that you're excluded from it or in some way complicit there are ways in which Perhaps for some of you as Pākehā, you might have benefited even from colonialisation. But that's not to impose a burden of guilt on you. It's instead to say there's a way of finding your place in God's story, of joining in with the groove as it runs around towards its ending, that means that you have a place of belonging in that story. You need to know the story, but you also have a way of retelling it in our generation. We recognise that... As you said, you know, the scratches on the record and the needle jumps, there was a broken story in the past. But we need to retell the story in our generation, not abandon it, but to join in with it in a new way. Now, to me, a big part of that involves recognising the language I'm trying to use around it now is a Korowai Māori. Okay, so it's not an exclusive space, but it says that there was a place in the gospel story that belonged to Māori, 1.40% of the population of New Zealand. Um, was in regular worship, regular Christian worship. Of course, all Māori, in the real Māori. And then the story got broken. But I don't actually believe that God has abandoned that story. I have hope and confidence that God wants to retell it. And I think in retelling that story, he's going to look for us to be able to empower Māori to take the lead in that, but not just for the benefit of Māori. It's for the benefit of the whole of the nation that exists now. So for me, a lot of my role, because I grew up outside Teo Māori, um, and I'm in a sort of middle ground space, so what I'm trying to do is to find ways to empower um, others to lead in that space. Um, And I often use, most of you will have seen things like this, where they're almost patronising things, you know, there's ministry to Māori, there are social services to Māori, all of these kind of spaces where It sets up a structure, a power relationship. And what I'm wanting to say is, I want Maui to be seen not just as beneficiaries of the gospel, but as the bearers of the gospel, who are empowered to take it forward, because we trust that God acts this way. This is the, God reaches out to those who are on the margins and says, you take the gospel forward. And in Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, he says, not many of you, and I'm paraphrasing other big shots in your world. Not many of you are the people that those outside are going to look towards and say you are the leaders in our society, but the church needs to be different. We need to look to those who are pushed to the margins, in Aotearoa that's often Maori, often also Pacifica, often also other immigrant groups, but there's something particular about this story that I think does that. I just want to give you one little example of that. And I wonder, Kerri-Ann, are you able to come up and just tell us a little bit about what you're doing and especially about mokoarami? Um, and I'm going to hand over to my colleague, Kerri-Ann. By the way, I gave kerri the worst sales pitch ever when I was trying to recruit her. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's come on board and she's such a blessing to us.
1: I'll tell you what that pitch was. I came from sales 11 years in the corporate world with FedEx. And um, I had just been offered a promotion, And I dropped out of school, so that's definitely got our work for (laughs) me to climb the corporate ladder. And I had just been offered a promotion to go over to Australia and to earn more money and had more options to climb the ladder. Obviously, they've got a bigger economy than us. And Mm. that same day, Lyndon Drake calls me and says, Hey, I'm looking for a second... Evangelist. I've been in a Māori Anglican church since the womb, and he said, I want you. I can promise you more work, less money, and no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in sales, so I know how to close deals, and that, that didn't sit <laughs> But I struggled with that. I struggled with that offer for about a year. Um, pondering, uh, wrestling with the Lord, uh, praying with my family, holding on to the money, and I said to Lyndon, all right, you win, God wins, where do I I sign? And so here I am since February this year as one of two Māori evangelists in the Mihingari Church. Um, Can I just share a vision that I had when I first came into this role? basically linden is a wonderful catalyst the lord has definitely called him into that space to open doors and to enable ministry um and yes and i had no structure as an evangelist in the church and i'm used to structure my father was in the army so you know we were kind of brought up this. Like, and I really had to ask the Lord what what it was that he was calling me to do, proclaim the word yes, but how? What does that look like? And so this picture here of the, the ocean, I found myself in this vision, standing on the shores of a beach, fully decked out in scuba diving gears from head to toe, and I looked at the ocean like this, and I said, Lord, I know that there are lots of fish out there, plenty plenty of fish, big fish, small fish, dangerous. Yummy fish? How do I go deep, Lord? How do I go deep? Take me deep. And I looked down, and I was so frustrated. The waves were crashing over my ankles, so I looked a bit silly. And I said, look, I'm in scuba diving gears, and I'm not even in the water. And he said, you're so used to building your own reputation and sales. You're no longer building your reputation. You are going to build my kingdom. And so I said, ah, all right, have your work, your work will be done. And so fast forward time, lot has happened, a lot has happened, and God's Spirit is already at work. Manukau in Auckland is my area, and so one task that the Lord has given me responsibility for is a discipleship program called Moko Arangi, and that's... Uh, is translated to a a mark, a heavenly mark of approval and it's themed around identity as Māori, Pacific, and it's a great segue into identity in Christ and it's taught through the medium of tamu tāmako, and there's a journey um, that you must go through when you receive a tā moko, a cultural tattoo, and we've used the story from one of our uh, Christian fire um, ladies in the church. Uh, her name is Deb Cobb, and she received her moko kōwai And it has been amazing what God has been doing. Uh, we've only had a small group of about eight or nine regular um, people attending. And I have had fun with the Holy Spirit, I tell you. Because I, like Lyndon said, we, you know, who, who are we that you're gonna use us, Lord? Yet He still chooses to partner with us. Oh, really? Really, Lord? I'm broken. I'm a broken piece of clay. And you I'm no teacher. I thought, no, Lord, I'm not equipped, I'm not enabled. But he enabled me. I work with some of you may know Mark Barman. Um, who was part of Wellington District before I think Lyndon fished him up north. <laughs> <laughs> He's good at fishing, man. And um, he and I pray together. It's a, a six-week course. And he and I pray together for the group and ask God for visions or gifts to speak over the group. And I'll just share one thing that has happened. Um, Mark and I have received a word and... Uh, he had a picture given to him of a flower that he had to share with the group. And he said, that flower, we spoke to them about Genesis 1. You have been created in God's image. And God said, you are very good, very good. And one of the um, people in the court had never read the Bible in her life, never never touched or opened the Bible in her life. And she was sitting there skeptic, wondering, what. Well, does this course have to offer me and closer to the end of the course mark had shared this vision with the team and he said look i don't know if this is going to connect with anyone here i don't even if it doesn't all good just let it go i feel a bit weird having to share this with you. but i got a picture kerianne and i had prayed to the lord to give us something to share with you tonight outside of the content which has been created by our friend jane hawaii and he said this picture that God has given me is a flower. And perhaps your nickname is puttiputti? That's the Bible word for flower. Well, of my neighbor calls me. Oh really? <laughs> oh, it connects with you too. And he had said, I don't know how that connects, but I just get this picture of a flower that is going to flourish because you have not known your identity until reading Genesis chapter one. Tonight, and this lady just fully brudged out crying. Everybody else was like, Nah, nah, doesn't get that. Nah. And I looked at him like, oh, and i I'll like, fail. Oh. He was a bit afraid to share it, and I said, Just hurry up and be obedient to God. You better be, but because it wasn't me, you know. Come like, on, like, hurry up. Good luck to you, brother. I'll pray for you. And, and I'm glad he, sh- he had courage to share. And remember, these people don't know who Christ is. This course has been created to open a forum where we discuss and explore faith together. We're not trying to convert them to Anglican, the Anglican church yet. Week <laughs> yes, seven, Yeah, yeah, yeah. week yeah, we, six, week five or six. And um, we want to ease it in. We want to ease it in and, and let the spirit work And When Mark had shared this vision, that connected more than the content that night for this woman. And she burst out into tears and she said, when I read Genesis 1, I felt this overwhelming feeling of love and comfort that I've never felt from any human. And she says, I've been searching for that. And she said, I've always worn long sleeve jerseys to this course and she, she hadn't shown any of us her tattoos. No one in that room had any tattoos or flowers but her. And she said that that really resonated with her and her whakapapa Papa with her grandparents and she said, I've never read the Word of God before and that spoke to me tonight. And so she that was week two where we've got our last session this Thursday actually. And she's stayed because of that vision. And in fact, she was at church this morning at St. James with Mark Barnard and his team. So God is definitely moving through this discipleship course. Not from my efforts or Mark's because we were nearly chickening out. <laughs> 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 I don't to do this. <laughs> you know, we've had to share some out of it pictures that the Lord Mark had to share about this teddy bear with a red heart with this big gangster guy. The bigger the better, the bigger the better. <laughs> <laughs> so we've had to rely on on the Lord and he's definitely moving, eh? We've just been obedient to him and and showing up and letting him use us so I hope that's enough to do oh, no. London. I don't want us to
0: miss out flight again. Sure, curious. I just wanted you to get some sort of sense of, of something of what God's doing there and the way in which when we trust God, um, when we're willing to to try and look for ways to retell that story, we can see God is still at work here. Um, one of the images that that I love to use around that um, picks up that picture that Paul has of, of jars of clay and the brokenness. Have you ever seen um, what the Japanese call kintsugi? It's when they take a, a jar and they actually make it more beautiful by mending it. And when I hear Kerry Ann tell something of what's going on there, and we could tell some of these other stories. I'm not trying to claim, by the way, that that things are suddenly all right. I mean, our Maori Anglican Church, there's that bit tell the truth in there. Okay, we're struggling. <laughs> we're trying to find our own way um, to really share the gospel. But at the same time, there is a beauty that's coming from that, that I think is God's work. He's taken what's broken in our story. He's not asking us to dwell on the brokenness. We should honestly recognize it, but also see the good that God is doing by making something more beautiful out of the brokenness than we could have perhaps managed by holding things together in ourselves. We one of the reasons I, I wear the, the collar is because in a Maori space there's an amazing openness still to the gospel. A lot of my parquet friends, I find um, my non-Christian Pacquiao friends, they don't want to know anything about the Christian faith, but in a Maori setting, there's an openness to it. There's something still that we need to do to connect the dots for people, but for example we get invited to come and help with tangihanga, um, with funerals and so forth, we get lots of opportunities to engage. When I look at Bishop Kittle, every Waitangi Day, I don't know if you know this, there are only two official events on Waitangi Day itself, they're both Christian services. There's the dawn pre-meeting and the 10 o'clock service. Those are the official national events. And Bishop Kittle runs both of those. And I see there the open door for the gospel that's been excluded in many other parts of society. So, you know when Jesus uses those words and he says, lift up your eyes and see the fields are ripe for the harvest and pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers." That's my prayer. Um, is that we'll see God raising up more and more people to go out into that harvest field to bring the goodness of the gospel. The good news of personal transformation and reconciliation with God. The good news that God is redeeming the world. And the good news that Jesus, the true King, stands against all of the oppression, the injustice, and all of the um, brokenness of this land, and is able to do something about it as we bring people into Christ's rule. And for me, that gives me great hope. And I want for each of you to know that because of what happened back in 1814, because of the proclamation of the gospel, even more than in the treaty, you have a place of belonging. It doesn't matter what your papa papa is. It means that you have a place of belonging because of the good news of Jesus Christ that has made us into more than just one iwi. It's brought us together as whānau. It's made us brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And for me, that's what offers hope as well for the brokenness of our land. It's not to get rid of Maori identity. It's not to pretend that the, the story didn't happen. But it's to say there's actually a way that can bring us together. And that's to be found in the reign and the rule of Jesus Christ, the true king. And that should give you confidence. Confidence about your own place of belonging, And it should also give you confidence, in my view, as a church, proclaiming that good news, in word and in deed, and to say this is a a message, this is a way of life that is desperately needed and which you have the right, you have the right to bring to those around you. I want you to be confident as you sit under Christ's rule. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen.